Well, the, the scoreboard said I lost today, but what the scoreboard doesn't say is what it is I have found. Studios for May 19th, 2022. I'm Nima Nadari alongside Parsa Sami, and we're here this week to preview the French Open. Uh, first and foremost, before we begin, how are you today, Parsa? I'm doing very well. It's it's awesome to be uh, to back on air with you, and um, looking forward to breaking down Roland Garros and and the lead up to it, and all the changes that have that are happening before our eyes. Can't wait to talk about it. For sure. And, you know, for everybody out there, obviously, Parsa and I are, you know, in a position now where we're pretty much only covering the Grand Slams. So our podcast focus is the four majors and the preview section of those events. Um, and we are obviously because we have, you know, some some flight stuff coming up and we have some, you know, stuff to take care of. We can't um, wait for the draw to come out today. So we're doing a little bit differently than we usually do, Parsa. But we're going to talk about, you know, just the lead-in and how everything has looked um, on the WTA and the ATP Tour this year and how, uh, you know, we think that the uh, the French Open will uh, unfold. So without further ado, let's get right into it. On the women's side, I mean, it's been pretty much total domination by Ega uh, uh, Swiatek. She's won five tournaments in a row. I mean, her dynamic game is just, it's been too much for everybody to handle. Like you were saying before we got on, on air, shape on her ball and just her professionalism. She seems like a really, you know, sweet and nice person as well too, which is great uh, for the for the women's game, especially with Ash Barty retiring a couple months ago, just before the Miami tournament. I mean, like last week, or the Madrid week she didn't play in, uh, Jabir won, but everybody was joking around because, you know, it was because she wasn't there. So it's kind of become a little bit like that peak big three, you know, time where, you know, those guys were winning every week or when Serena was around and she was winning everything. So it looks kind of that way. What are your thoughts on Swiatek? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um just a really well-rounded player. I, I've had my eye on her since uh, last year. Obviously, she won the French Open. And she just plays with tremendous amount of shape. She uses angles. You can see her brain working and creating openings for herself. And I just really appreciate and enjoy watching her play. Uh, I think there's a lot of stability there uh, in her game physically. Um, and then, obviously, you know, with the mental and, and emotional strength that she portrays, you know, she's got a, a, a long, successful career in front of her. Um, you know, we've we've been experiencing the last two years these, you know, I don't want to call them flashes in a pan, but, um, you know, they've been players that sort of come out of nowhere, win a Grand Slam, and then go away or get too big in their head or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And she's not that person. I think she's going to be around for a long time and she's going to win many, many Grand Slams. So needless to say, I mean, as I mentioned, we don't have to draw yet, but um, in terms of, you know, her prospects for winning this title, 
I mean, for me, you know, Ons Jabir has has done really well the last couple of weeks. She looks like she's going to be a contender. You know, Bedosa was playing well. She kind of fell off a little bit, but you know, she can do some damage here as well too. Sabalenka, I'm not a really big believer in her at the moment. I think she's going to end the year maybe even outside of the top eight, just because of her serving woes and she's you know very erratic in in that sense. Um, so I mean, it looks like it's going to be Swiatek. I don't I don't know if you have. It's going to be like a clear-cut favorite, I think, for this title. What What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't agree more. I mean, she's the player to beat. So um, whatever it may be, you know, there's there's very difficult person to try to break down in that way. Now, you know, talking about, uh, you know, Badova or... Um, I'm sorry, Badoza or, you know, Jabour, I mean, they definitely have enough of a game where some slight changes in, in, in conditions or a change in, let's say, uh, Suyatek has too many long matches or, let's say, a rain delay and she's got to play back-to-back days or there are there is enough talent, enough firepower to take her out, but she's the clear-cut favorite for me. Yeah, and, and obviously, like, Sakari's good on clay. She's super fit, very professional, but she hasn't really done it yet. And she's kind of one of those players, you know, she loves the game so much, but because she hasn't, you know, got to that level yet, we don't know what the, the chances of her, you know, actually winning one of these are. You know, um, Andrescu's come back from injury. She played pretty well. Actually, I mean, she's the only person who, only player who got a decent set, you know, with uh, with Swiatek last week in Italy, like she took her seven six in the first before getting getting bageled in the second. But if you look at all of her matches, I mean Swiatek, she smoked everybody. I yeah. mean you're talking about like top players in the world beating him two and two, one and two, two and three. You know what I mean? It's just like and truthfully, Nima, I, you know, her game is conducive to the clay and and all the other surfaces as well. Um, yeah. But most conducive to clay, and I would say that the the WTA tour, you know, the top players are more fast court players. So it's it, there's a little bit of a stylistically there's there's a challenge out there on the WTA tour. I mean, I think she can go on like a crazy run, not like Nadalish, but like Nadalish on the women's side. Maybe she can win five, six of these before all is said and done um, in her career, which would be incredible. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at her Rome, you look at Swiatek in Rome, she beat Azarenka 4-1. She beat Andrescu 6-0. Then she beat Sabalenka 1-2. Uh, and, and then she beat Jabrur 2-2. Two two. I mean, these are all, like, you know, top players, right? And she just, she was tuning everybody. So it's like, it's, I mean, it's it's very, very impressive, to say the least. And, I mean, she's basically, lo- she's not even losing games. So... You know, every tournament is different. You step out there, you know, you get nervous, you get whatever. But I think the, the thing we've got to look at is she's won this tournament as well before the French Open, and she's on this run. So, I mean, if there was ever, you know, clear-cut favorite, you got to think uh, it's going to be her. I mean, it, it's interesting, like, you know, what is it going to take for somebody like Swiatek to become, like, a household name? I don't think, again, I mean, I'm just being partic- very honest. I don't think she's particularly very marketable. She's, you know, obviously I think she's an you know, amazing player and a very nice person. But like somebody like Radicanu, who's, you know, played okay on clay. She's won like, you know, a few matches, handful of matches throughout the clay court season. You know, she was at the top of the game. 
you're going to get a lot more press out of that. Or somebody like Anisimova or, you know, even if, you know, Bouchard could have ever put something together. And I think that's kind of what you're looking for, because even when Barty was, you know, at the top of the game, how many people outside of Australia were really talking about Ash Barty and getting out there and lining up, you know, you know, 10 rows deep to watch her play matches. This has nothing to do with anything except for, you know, the the attraction that you get, you know, from a player and all of that stuff. Like Kyrgios, for instance, I mean, he's never even made the semifinals of a Grand Slam, but, you know, people are like crazy to watch him play, right? Because they want to see what's next. So I think kind of that's what's missing a little bit as well with the WTA. Serena obviously had that aura. Sharapova's had that aura. Bouchard's had that aura. And it's not always about your results, right? It's about, you know, your marketability, the way you look, the way people gravitate towards you, right? And I look at a lot of things from a sports marketing, um, you know, standpoint, not necessarily just from results, because a lot of people have can't have results, but nobody really cares that much, right? So I think you kind of, because you're putting on a show at the end of the day, right? We're covering this because it's entertainment. I run a website because it's a business and it's entertainment, right? We're all trying to do something with it. So yeah, you can be a fan, which is totally okay. But I think when you're looking at the greater good of tennis, you know, like I look at analytics all the time and we'll get into Alcaraz in a bit, but I mean, he's getting tons of views right now. You know what I mean? Because people are excited. Yeah. So you kind of you kind of want you you need that, right? What that's exactly what Federer did. He took the game beyond the next level, right? Nadal's been there too. Djokovic is coming, you know, in a little bit with that as well. And it's not about you know, Djokovic can win thirty grand slams, which he might, but that does does that mean he's gonna be more popular than Federer and Nadal? Probably not. But he's a much better player. And that's saying a lot considering the other two guys, but it's not necessarily who's putting, you know, coming out to watch him play and following tennis, live streaming and stuff like that. So I think that's something to keep track of. But nevertheless, I mean, listen, Swiatek, she's going to have a wonderful career. I think she's the absolute clear cut favorite to win this tournament. And we'll see how it unfolds in, in a couple of weeks time. You have anything to wrap up there before we go on to the men's side? No, I mean, I, th- I think that the, the significant thing for, for me and the big takeaway right now and going towards Roland Garros is is the lack of styles that are able to play on 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 clay in an effective way meaning you know I don't remember the the um who was the little Italian uh, woman she was super good on clay and she just fought every point Schiavone? yeah Francesca but there 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 are a lack of those dark horses in in the the tour right now you know there's there isn't this specialist who's all of a sudden just never gonna miss gonna hit the ball deep it's gonna be in your face you know we're missing that we've got a lot of these like powerhouses that could literally win at any given moment um but we don't have anyone that's that's sort of just you know sakari is is the maybe the closest one but she can she can you know her wheels can come off um you know and uh, you know i look at azarenka someone like that but she's I, I believe in Azarenka much more in a hard court than I would on a clay court. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, that's all. I, I just think, uh, you know, there's always this evolution in, in on the women's game, which is great. You know, it's always different and always changing. Um, and, I, you know, it's sort of gone away. I think the level in general has risen. Um, but the specificity of the surface I think is dictating the style of the players that are coming up now, if that makes any sense. No, totally, yeah. 
and that's I mean that's kind of what you want right like that's what Federer Nadal and Djokovic were able to do so well throughout their careers was play well on everything and uh, you know contend at every major play each other you know really grow the game and that's why they you know they have 61 grand slams between the three of them Amazing. which is incredible right so and growing because you know either you know one of those guys is probably going to win a couple more slams this year too so um moving on to the men's side we have novak djokovic who's had an, a very interesting year to say the least as everybody knows he didn't play australia he wasn't allowed to play didn't play indian wells didn't play miami comes back in monte carlo loses to david uh, david <clears throat> pardon me then he plays belgrade loses in the finals there to rublev uh, plays in Madrid, loses in an epic in the semis to Alcaraz, who ends up winning the tournament, and then comes into Rome and he wins that tournament. So, I mean, he he's been there. Like he went through, you know, he took his his lumps, so to speak, parts of throughout the clay court season. I mean, he played four events and he progressively he's got a lot of you know miles in those legs now. You know, he played a match in Monte Carlo. He played you know four in Belgrade. He played, you know, three or four in, in Madrid, and he played five in, in Rome. So he's he's ready to go. He looks good. He looks healthy, you know, and I, I think it's going to be, you know, this is his chance to to tie Nadal and, you know, go back to everybody saying, you know, he's the GOAT again. I know a lot of people say that anyways just because of the number one record head-to-head against Nadal and Federer, all the Masters 1000s. He's a leader there too. Um, but it's it's going to come down to the majors. If Nadal somehow wins this, we'll get into him, you know, a little bit later. But you know, he'll have 22, and you can't really neglect that. That's a big number, right? Big number. So, yeah, it's a big number. So, it's a big tournament. This is, if you look at it, Parse. I mean, if we had Federer here too, this would be an amazing, like, not that we, not, not I'm just saying we don't need him because he's not the best on clay anymore. And he's older now, but. You know, when you look at this French Open, you look at Djokovic, he's in good form. Nadal, the greatest clay court player ever, injured, but still super force on this. You got the new guy, Alcarez, who's, I mean, everybody's talking about him. Sissipas has been playing very well this spring. And even Zarev has been, like, making the semis or better of, of every Masters 1000 event. So we got about five guys who are coming in with either an amazing, you know, pre-record here or playing really well this year on the surface. So it's going to be a very interesting event. So why don't you start off with Djokovic, tell us what you think about him, and then we'll move on from there. Yeah, I, I just have one thing, Nima. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, you're talking through that, and I was thinking, is this the year that we get some dark horse qualifier? Like when we were kids, we used to get a qualifier out of nowhere at Roland Garros, get to the semis and, and bow out to someone. We haven't seen that in a long time, um, you know, where, you know, someone just out of nowhere just all of a sudden just appears and just takes it all by storm. You know, you can kind of tell who's in form and, and what's going to go on. And, um, you know, but it feels like there may be an opportunity for, for one of those quarters um, for a dark horse to completely out of nowhere, just some name that, you know, obviously you and I have heard of, but the, the general public hasn't heard of. It's very possible that they can get through. Uh, in terms of Djokovic, you know, it's been a strange year. You know, he hasn't had consistency, but as you were pointing out, you know, he's played more matches and he's gotten more, uh, cons- uh, you know, match play. And you can see his form just rounding into shape. Um, he's he's really right there. 
I still not a, a hundred percent on him only because the legs are a little different in best of five and it's been so scattered his play. Usually that sort of endurance is built through repetitive, consistent uh, play. And obviously he's had years and years and years of that, that consistency. So perhaps it's re-sparked and the, and the reserves are there. I wouldn't be shocked though if, if he's gotten a, a couple five setters early in the tournament, let's say round two and round four, um, or one and three, that he starts to lose some steam towards the end of the tournament. Um, mm-hmm. Wouldn't shock me. So that's the one thing to look out for. If he's breezing through and it's three, three and four, and then you know four setter in the second round, and then straight setter in the third round, I mean, you got to watch out. Uh, he's probably going to win it. Um, you know, it's it's that kind of thing. You should be able to tell uh, based on the first three or four matches how this is going to end up. Um, in terms of Nadal, I, I look at Rafa and, and you know we we're talking off air. Rafa's game is is really aggressive now, and so you know his movements on on clay is not what it used to be. And just seeing that he came up lame in Rome, you know, and and he just moves differently on clay. And and I used to think that clay was his saving grace, but actually I'm now looking at it after Rome and saying, huh, it's the hard court where the value of the serve, the value of the first shot after the serve. You know the big returns, you know the the ability to hug the baseline and shorten uh, points when when wanting, and then also on a hard court, when defending, if you get pushed into a corner, he doesn't necessarily fight to get out of that corner anymore. Where on clay, you know you hit it, you have to get back in position because the rally is going to continue for fifteen more shots. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that was a that was telling, and I think if he comes up lame in. Roland Garros, I, th- I think it's going to be a big issue moving forward, and um, our dear Rafa may, may end up uh, being a, a strictly a fast court player. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. There's definitely a question mark for me there. I look at, um, you know, and I say that with, like, such huge hesitation. It's not even funny, like, beyond, because how could you pick the one guy you never pick against to not have a success for Roland Garros. It's like the most backwards thing. Like if it was Australian Open, I remember before the Australian Open, which I did to my own credit, pick him right from the start uh, yeah, a couple days before. Um, and it was like one of those things where I think I said something to the effect of, you just can never bet against Rafa. Rafa's always going to be there. So now how could I bet against Rafa on the one tournament that he's dominated his entire career? How could I be like, you know, he may not be able to do it here. Um, so it's a little bit backwards and a little bit counterintuitive to how I've always felt about Rafa and you just can't count the guy out. So I'm a little confused on what to think because our sample size on clay hasn't been enough and he's not in his usual dominant form coming in. But I have to say again, another one that I want to watch the draw, how it plays out. You know, if he if he can play some sort of grinder who can't hurt him and he can gain a rhythm and he can start to feel the ball and feel the surface, you got to watch out. And the guy's won this thing, what is it, 13 times, Nima? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's it's he's he's the king of clay. So he's definitely the one to beat. So, so here's the thing. this Coming into this French Open, he's had his worst lead in ever. He didn't play Monte Carlo. Didn't play Barcelona, made I believe the quarters in Madrid and third round in Rome. 
So he's like three and two this year on clay. You know, <laughs> every crazy. year he's at least won something or won everything or you know what I'm saying? Like, this is like, uh, you know, it's he has no form on clay and he's a, such a like. Look at the years that he didn't win the French Open, Barça. He didn't win in 2000, the year Federer won, right? 2009, um, he lost to Soderling. His parents were getting divorced. He wasn't in the best frame of mind. It was that slow day and Soderling was just teeing off and he took him out. Then go back to 2015 when Djokovic won the tournament and he, Djokovic tuned him in the quarterfinals. If you look at his results coming into that year, again, he wasn't in good shape. He was kind of injured. He wasn't really feeling good. I'm not making excuses for the reason why somebody else won the tournament. Because, you know, the players who won Federer, Djokovic, whoever, that year were playing really well, right? And then you look at this year, and what are we going off of? His hardcore performance? Yeah, I mean, that was beyond outstanding up until the finals of Indian Wells, where he lost to Fritz. But he's got, like, no form, you know? And, like, you know, Alcaraz took him out in Madrid, it wasn't a super competitive match either. I thought, like, I know the second set was 6-1 for Nadal, but I really didn't feel that like Rafa was, you know, the way that we've seen him before. And, I mean, Alcaraz is next level right now. But then you look at, you know, in Rome, Shapovalov, as we both said, and I don't even, like, I know he's Canadian and I am too, but he's very disappointing, right, like, overall. And Nadal was torching him in the first set, and then his foot acted up, and then he lost the match. So it's not like, you know, Dennis was doing something crazy. He lost the next round to Casper uh, Ruud, and then he lost yesterday in Geneva to Ivanchka. So, I mean, it's like, you know, Dennis is not exactly a world beater on clay for, for us to go. Like, that was such a, you know, merited win that he had over Nadal in Rome. So... Nadal's in trouble. There's no question about it. I mean, that, that that foot injury. And the thing is, he took time off and he came back. You know, he, realistically, he shouldn't have played Indian Wells. He should have just relaxed, came back, maybe played Rome, and then just get ready for the French Open. I know that's not how he's wired. He likes to play. He wants to be out there. He wants to be part of the tour. But at this stage in his career, he's going to be, what, like 36 in a couple of days? So, you know, you got to take care of yourself, right? Like, especially when you have pre-existing chronic injuries. So, I mean, th that's my, my thought on, on Rafa. And listen, I would love to see him do something. And I think, you know, just before we get on to Alcaraz here, I don't think you're going to see too many wildcard guys in the quarters because if you look at it, you got to think Djokovic, Nadal's going to at least probably make the quarters unless something catastrophic happens for him. Alcaraz is going to be there. Sissipas is going to be there. Zarev is going to be there. Rude is probably going to be there. And then you have a couple other guys. Maybe Rublev, he's for sure good enough for the quarters. Um, and then there's one more guy. But, you know, know, that's the thing. If you're thinking Nadal's going to be in the quarters, then... You're I, thinking he can win it. Yeah, because then that's enough math. That, then he's already played, like, a small 250 event or whatever, you know, like... To yeah. get to the quarters, you know what I mean. So now he's fully in so rhythm. So he gets to the quarters, he yeah. can win if he, or he's going to lose in the second or third round, something yeah, like that. Exactly. That that's exactly what I I think is going to happen because he he can get taken out by some of these guys. Um, but Carlos Alcaraz does not want to face Rafael Nadal in the semifinals of the French Open. Like 
yes, could he could he beat him? Of course he can. But I don't want to play Rafa like super in form, best of five, like with you know relatively relative health. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not. You know, that's like that. There's nothing more than than you know the ultimate test right there. Um, you know, so we'll see. Of Very good point. Okay, so moving on now to Alcaraz. I mean, guy's the man of the moment right now. He's won like four tournaments this year. He's, he's on fire. One Barcelona, one Madrid. I mean, and he looks like he belongs. You know, like they're asking him. His, you know, his English is pretty good, but you can tell like sometimes he struggles with the the uh, interviews off off court. And uh, you know, one of the guys asked him, "Do you think you know you belong here? You can beat Djokovic tomorrow?" And he goes, "Yeah, why not?" You know, it wasn't like he was being arrogant, right? He's like, yeah, well, I think I can win. And obviously he did. And I mean, listen, I don't care what form these guys are in. If you're beating Nadal, Djokovic, and Zarev back to back to back, you're amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, amazing. You're, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna do some serious stuff. And you're already at six in the world, just turned 19. I mean, this guy's the real deal, right? So, and it's great because, you know, with... Obviously, Federer pretty much done. I mean, he said he's coming back in Basel later this year. And, you know, Nadal still there, but he's going to... And I think Nadal will play next year for sure. Uh, but again, it's not going to be a full schedule and he's going to be in and out. And Djokovic is going to be, you know, 30, what, 35 this year, 36 next year. And did you he's see his quote, Nima? You see his... Qu- he was like, as long as Rafa's around, I'll be around. So he's even thinking, you know, of hanging it up. Yeah, of course, because there's, he knows that nobody else can touch him, right? If if Nadal retired today, he just needs to win really two more Grand Slams, right? But if Nadal wins this tournament, then now he needs to win three more Grand Slams. So now he's playing a couple more years for sure, right? So these guys, I mean, they're not doing it for the money anymore. Like they're that's beyond their set. There, it's just you know they want to compete. They they like it. They want to, you know, they've been doing this for so long against each other. So. They love the, the accolades and, you know, what, what you know the, the energy that they get from it. So it'll be great to see if, I mean, if they all can hang on for a bit longer. But Alcaraz is definitely the future. you got to put him, maybe a guy like Sinner, maybe a guy like Holger Rune who's coming up. These guys are all future top tenors, I think, in my opinion, right? So, and then you throw in other guys like maybe Brooksby and maybe Fritz will be around. You know, Rublev is still young. Sissipes, Zarev, and... I mean, that's kind of what your top 10, I think, is going to look like in the next three or four years. But um, Alcaraz, for me, is the only one that's got it. Um, the other guys can all win win tournaments or whatever, but Alcaraz is a multiple type guy. Um, he's, he's just got some, there's a specialness about him. Um, and there isn't another one like him yet. You know, there was Federer, then Nadal came along, you know, a couple years after that. And then a couple years after that, Djokovic came along. And Murray came along, and there was this 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 it factor with those four guys. Um, and right now in the young generation, like whether it's CC Pass or Zverev, you know, you know Dominic Team, we're not even talking about. Um, you know, these guys are you know one, two, maybe three Grand Slam type guys. Alcaraz is definitely a, a multiple. On every surface, he's a threat in every tournament for the foreseeable future, um, mm-hmm. barring any injuries. Yeah, and and Parsa, before we 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 get on to the other guys, um, what in your opinion, 
makes Alcaraz so special? And before you answer that question, and I've been thinking about this, right? Like I remember watching Nadal in 2005 when he won the French Open and he beat Puerta in the finals. And you remember him going into corners and doing those open stance, backhands, cross court, and just those running forehands down the line and just his intensity and the flair and the fist pumps and the, and the sleeveless shirts and all of that stuff, right? Like it's memorable, you know what I mean? Yep. When you look at Federer and the grace and, you know, he would do those half volley backhand cross-court winners when he was younger and like Djokovic with his flexibility and his backhand down the line. When you look at Alcaraz, for me personally, I'm not saying the guy's not incredible. He's, you know, I like watching him play. He's fun. But even when I look at a guy like Kyrgios, like, you know, his serve is like, you know, super, super elite. When you look at a guy like Alcaraz, what is making him be so successful? Is it his physicality? Is it his forehand? What do you think is his signature thing that you look at and you think of him? Because I don't really see that. Like, I, I don't think of him saying, like, he's got that open stance forehand in the corner that you know it's money and he's going to, like, crush it and you're done. Or, like, I mean, his kick serve on the ad side is pretty ridiculous. But what is it overall that you think is putting him where he is right now? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, it's a great question. I, so, you know, when you think of him, you think of how mature he is as a player. So... What that means is he's so well-rounded at such a young age that he's got the, the youthful, uh, he's not experienced enough to be scared. So he's got that youthful mindset of just go, 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 go with the maturity yeah. of someone who's been on tour, you know, who should be 32 years old um, and understands how to break down players with this incredible amount of speed, um, you know, and the his forehand for me is... is what is his separator? Um, mm-hmm. But it's also his creativity, his point play. And I don't know if you've seen any of the clips of him playing Le, Le Petit um, when he was 13 years old. Yeah, um, yeah. But he plays literally the same exact game. I mean, he, he was breaking down opponents. It's all at a slower speed. But he's playing the same patterns, using the same movements, the same... Everything was the same. I was, I was shocked to watch it play. The, 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 I don't want to call it the lack of improvement, but the I call it the other way, you know... He, at, at 13 years of age, was already a professional, quote-unquote, meaning his game was very professional. And he, he wasn't overplaying. He understood subtleties. He understood when to, to shape the ball, when to flatten the ball, when to hit the drop shot, when to move around, hit a forehand, when to hit an angle, how to elongate a point. Like all these very important things that... As a professional, you you learn through years and years. Like, you know, we're talking about, let's say, Zverev, um, who still doesn't understand the subtleties in crucial moments in big-time matches. And Alcaraz already has it. Like, it's already ingrained in him what he needs to do. He just has to go out there and continue to get better and improve. So the one glaring thing that I see, you know, that is a strength of his is actually his his maturity. Um and his, his ability at, at such a young age to have that athleticism and do that. The other thing that's special about him, Nima, that isn't spoken about enough is from tournament to tournament this year, he's improved and he continues to improve. So it may not be in, in big shot form, but how exactly are you supposed to break him down? Like I understand the flexibility of Djokovic, but he's very much in a Djokovic style of game in that there's with a better serve, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, Djokovic 
Yes, he was flexible and flashy, but Alcaraz, his flashiness right now is he's young, fast, and experienced, you know? Um, that's what's sort of separating him, and it's not necessarily a big shot. Like, you think of, you know, Taylor Fritz hitting the, the, the crap out of the ball, or, you know, Federer and his grace, and, and Rafa and, and his grit and, and mentality. And I think what you're, what you're seeing from Carlos Alcaraz is someone who is yet to find necessarily his form. But how scary is that? The guy's six in the world. He's 19 years old. And we're talking, you know, we haven't even sort of defined him yet. Um, that's a good thing, you know. So I think he's, yeah, he's, exactly. yeah, he's got a very, very bright future, obviously. And, um, you know, it's going to be exciting to, to watch someone like that who has that it factor grow and develop and, and continue to thwart challengers away because, you know, I think he's going to set the bar now. Um, and I hope that he can play Federer because I just want to see it one time. Because um, I, I think, you know, it's total changing of the guard here. This is the guy. And in your, um, so now in your opinion, is he ready to win this tournament? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. Um, I think the one thing that's going to, only thing that's going to hold him back, because he's got the experience is the lack of best of five set match play. Um, I think that that's something that has has to happen again from repetition. Um, however, when you're so youthful, it sometimes just doesn't matter. You know, you could see like, uh, I don't know what tournament was that I was watching him play, but he had to play a couple back-to-back matches. And, oh, it was uh, it was Madrid, I think, right? or the tournament before Madrid. I, I don't remember exactly, but he had to play a semi and a final on the same day. And, uh, Barcelona, yeah, Barcelona. Barcelona, there you go. And, and, he played like three and a half hours in the semi and you're like, no way he's going to be able to turn around. And it was like not even an issue. It was like, you know, he walking in Central Park, like it was nothing. So yeah. you forget, like we've been watching champions of mid thirties age and they like look exhausted and slow down and all are bald. Like, you know, like I am and like whatever. And then there's this kid who just doesn't care. He could run, you know, a marathon every day with no issues. Yeah, and it's just it's incredible to watch. I mean, the guy's just so good for the game, and he's got great energy, and he's one of those guys like he's gonna he's gonna bring people into the stands for sure. People are like, I want to see this Alcaraz guy. Who's this Alcaraz guy? He sounds good, you know what I mean? Like, it's so he's got it. Like, he's got that it factor, like you said. So, Parsa, as we wrap up this week's show, just want to talk about the last two contenders, in my opinion. I think there's only five, really, that can win this title with Djokovic, Nadal, Alcaraz, and that's Sissipas and Zarev. Yep. For me, both of these guys, I mean, Sissipas won Monte Carlo, made the semis in Madrid, uh, then made the finals in Rome. So, I mean, the guy has been there. Like, let's say that. There's no doubt about it. Um, you don't think Casper Ruud, by the way? Sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but... I think you got to put him in there. Not, not yet. Not, not this year. I don't think. I, I just don't see. I don't see that thing in his game that is a separator. He's just super fit, super solid. He likes clay, but I don't. I just don't see that. In my opinion, I mean, I don't. That's that's what I think. But um, in terms of, you know, these like Zarev and um, Zarev and Sisipas, I think they're both playing well. I mean, Sispas obviously more than Zarev, but I just, I really don't think that they've evolved their games enough 
to put themselves in a position to win a major. I mean, obviously, Zare uh, pardon me, Sissipas was super close last year, being two sets to love up against Djokovic. Now, let's not forget that. And losing, Djokovic came all the way back and, and won that in miraculous fashion. Um, but listen, I think that both of these guys are there, but kind of not there. You know what I mean? And I just want to know, as we wrap up this week's show, what you think of Sissipas and then Zarev. Yeah, I mean, Tsitsipas, you know, a, a couple podcasts ago, I had predicted, I think, through this year that he'd be holding a trophy. And, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I think he's regressed a little bit. Um, yes. Or he's yeah. peaked, either either one. Maybe it's not a regression. Maybe it's just he's a super solid player who's having trouble eclipsing the, the peak. You know, he's, he's getting he can't get over the hump. Um, and it's always one thing or another or... You know, what he does do is he frequently, the guys who do beat him in Grand Slams, like Alcaraz in, in the U.S. Open, people play, like, ridiculous matches against him. And so that's a good sign for him in that people have to raise their levels to stratospheric, you know, places in order to take him out. But he mm-hmm. never seems to be the guy who is putting the beat down from point A to point Z, you know. It's mm-hmm. it's not a complete tournament with him. It's It's always sort of there's always one player better than him. Um, and I think that comes from relying too much on, you know, his, 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 what he does very well right now, which is, you know, manipulate the ball and move it around and, and grit and grind, hit some huge forehands, hit some big serves. He's got a great all around game. Um, but I think he's just lacking one more piece in his game, and, and we were also talking about this off-air, same thing with Zverev. Um, the, the, the lack of improvement in this quote-unquote new um, ability is a little concerning. Zverev a little bit different. Tsitsipas, I'd love to see him take the ball a little early and force people to, to play rushed. I would love to see that happen with him. Um, and then mix it in with grit and grinds and change of paces and doing all those kinds of things. I think that's what's missing in his game. And, and when he runs into these guys that are super hot, he's not showing the ability to just take the game out of their hands and not allow them to be super hot and put them into tough positions, you know, and win the tiebreak 9-7 and win the set, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, I haven't seen that on a consistent level later in, the, in a tournament um, with him. So that's that. Um, with Zverev, you know, it's still kind of the same thing. That until he gets over this 60-mile-an-hour second-serve nonsense, um, I just don't think he can, he can, really, he can really go to the next level. Um, I, his game is so huge and so ridiculous. Like, he's extremely talented and very good ball striker. Massive serve, massive shots off both sides. Um, but he's got a chink in the armor. He's he's got the second serve and his forehand breaks down, and so people know that. And so if you're a guy like Alcaraz or someone later in the tournament, you know that you can break him down and you can get into his brain. And until he works on the mental side of his of his game, and he, you know, I had a coach uh, a long long time ago, twenty years ago, and he always used to say confidence, you know, comes from knowing that you can do it and that you you couldn't you can't gain confidence meaning like confidence is developed in your work okay so you can't mm-hmm. gain confidence like so many students i've had in the past and i was like this as a player i would always say all right just one match that this match if i can win this match it's going to be a defining match for me and i'm going to gain the confidence i need to be the best in the world it doesn't work like that 
the, the confidence is developed in your daily habits, in what you do, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning to when you go to bed at night, how you do it 365 days of the year and that lifestyle. And I can tell you right now, I don't even know anything about Zverev, but I can tell you it's not a consistent 365 days a year. There's something that is not right about what he's doing and the, and the way he operates on a daily basis. And most likely it has something to do with not making these micro improvements every single day. You know, the, the, the famous quotes, get 1% better every day. You know, anything to that effect. I just don't think he's in this improvement mindset. I think it's, there's probably too much pumping himself up or others around him pumping him up or whatever it may be. And not enough about, all right, let's, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's look at what we can do. You know, let's improve our serve technique because you serve 142 miles an hour. So, so what? Serve 138 miles an hour, but let's get 110 mile an hour second serve that you can hit with your eyes closed. That's going to be so much more valuable for him because what's the idea here? Is the idea here to be five in the world or is the idea here to be a Grand Slam champion and the best in the world? You know, so far, mm-hmm. it seems like he wants to be a consistent top five player in the world. It's like, look, I'm, I was never that good, so I can't judge that. Um, but he needs that in order to get to the to the the peak, peak, peak. Um, and I think the same thing goes with Pass as well. Although Pass to a lesser degree, because I think he's a little bit more consistent. I think he brings it um, and he doesn't give it away necessarily like Zverev does. Um, so I think those two guys have two separate challenges, but they're sort of in the same boat. Um, and, and maybe this kid coming up, Alcaraz, will, will make them look at the, you know, in the mirror and say, this is where I need to get better. I think Pass has got a better chance. Um, but maybe almost too humble, you know? So we'll mm-hmm. see how this all unfolds. And, and I think interesting for, for everyone to, to kind of observe over the next um, three Grand Slams. I think it's going to be very telling by the end of the U.S. Open what's, what's going to happen. Yeah, how the, the, the scope of the, the men's game is, is going to look going forward. I think this is actually a very telling year as well, too. Yep. Certainly um, a shift. Yeah. Well, it's been a while, right? So... Well, there you have it. I mean, I think, you know, Parsa summed it up beautifully as always. So thank you for that. Um, to everybody out there, uh, make sure to check us out on iTunes as well as Android. For for our podcast, you can also listen to this podcast on TennisConnected.com. As always, um, Parsa and I will be back for the next Grand Slam, which is Wimbledon, uh, later in June to preview that uh, glorious event. In the meantime, you can follow Parsa at Parsa Sammy on Instagram. You can follow myself at Tennis Connected. And uh, be good. Enjoy the fortnight. Parsa, once again, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And if you have any feedback for us, as always, you can drop us a line. And we'll talk to you soon. Have a great day.